Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we continue our look at Carl Jung and his theories around the collective unconscious and our conscious reality. We also discuss a Buddhist philosophical theory as a means of guiding one's mind to draw their own conclusion. We also discuss unconscious impulses, reality as a danger to the deepest parts of ourself, and the definitions of Carl Jung's archetypes. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow dream tears, those of us like our spirituality with a twist. All right, so we're continuing on with our Carl Jung thing. We're building up to like talk about him as a thinker, and then we'll think about how he thinks about human relationships, but you got to know a little context. That's been our idea in this whole series. And we are back. There's so much to talk about in Jung that you almost can't do it in one single shot. And I imagine, you know, we'll probably go back and talk about him some more, but uh, that's what we're going to try to do at least an overview now. So we're into this, Daniel. And I guess to me, to my mind, we were talking about the collective unconscious and I was doing a little bit of like in between show research as I like to do. And maybe one of the ways of understanding this is like to talk about what it's not too. Okay. So it's kind of an interesting point that people make. So there's no doubt that Jung thinks that there's a personal unconscious. Hold on, Eric, before, before you go, this is, so, so doing what something is not is very, it's a very Buddhist way of, of doing things, right? It's, That's it's, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just to highlight for the audience, but this, it's a subtle point, one that, you know, is made very regularly by, by people who study these sort of East Asian philosophies is that describing through negation leaves something to be sought out after by the mind, actually, yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah, to true. saying what something is, then we often want to find out what it is not, right? Yeah. We, we like to do this kind of thing. So in, in this way, then you are being a, a very good Buddhist in your description of Carl. I'm Young. following, I'm doing the gesture of like respect yeah. and whatever, both to you for pointing it out, but also for like Tsongkhapa and the other great Buddhist Nagarjuna yes. who like taught this as a way of thinking. Yeah. And a real and good way of thinking, actually. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say that like mm, there's tons of different philosophical ideologies and things like that where, you know, maybe we could do some at some other point on, you know, Plato and, and Socrates. Or yeah, we haven't done those. We haven't done any Greek people. That's true. No, no, we haven't. So there's lots of different ways of thinking about this. But in this way, this is a very kind of like Buddhist way of thinking. And it is not subtle, actually. It's done intentionally in order to sort of, at least from my interpretation, draw the mind to a particular, allow the mind to, to move itself towards a particular point because we are looking for kind of like resolution through negation or resolution through filling in the blanks. And this is a nice way of like letting people move down their own process as you're kind of guiding them or, or creating the, the story, if you will. I think especially for things that are really like to use like a Buddhist sounding word here too, things that are really subtle. Yes. 
when you get things that are really subtle, maybe one of the best things to do is say, I don't mean this. I don't mean that. I don't mean this thing. Now we're opening up a space for you to sort of can throw, you can kind of get a sense of and experience the thing that's like left over <laughs> once the other things start going. That's correct. And, and it also kind of like, I, I mean, I've been talking about this a little bit in, in my life for the last couple of weeks, this form and formless, you know, yeah. when something is abstract, there is a relative lack of definitive form and therefore, so which is why I love abstract art so much is that like it, the mind cannot just go put it, it can't just put it away. Oh, that's what this is. I'm done. I'm moving on. So in the same way here, we're saying, well, it's not all these other things here. It's somewhere else, but it's not those things. Therefore it's here somewhere. Now you do your best to try and determine what that is for you. It's kind of like the line in the start of the Tao Te Ching too, where it says the Tao that can be named is not the real Tao. It's the a similar move, right? Mm -hmm. You were talking this way last week though, too, about like this tendency of people, maybe more now, but probably people just in general, to try to like intellectually explain something. And then it's kind of like intellectually explaining stuff away. Yes. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. I have to say like, I, I, I get you on the, it's always interesting when, uh, you and I do this thing and then, you know, you realize that there's like the Vulcan mind meld thing is happening because <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm like, take, I'm making a point of like chanting the heart sutra, which is the big form and emptiness thing. I did it last night. Mm -hmm. I realized I wasn't doing it as much. It's really mm -hmm. funny because I got into the habit of chanting it in like the Japanese little mm -hmm. pronunciation system, as opposed to like the Tibetan stuff that I do otherwise. So it's like a little bit of like wasabi into the, you know, <laughs> the Tibetan stuff. Right. But that's how I got used to doing it because I realized that sometimes I'm not thinking about this enough. Right. You know, I got to make sure I think about what you're talking about every day. <clears throat> and then, you know, you can get in the habit of like letting that go. Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. And it's funny because one of the, the one of the Buddhist tantric that, you know, like commitments, whether or not you always follow all of these exactly, it's hard to say. But, you know, there are things that you sort of say, oh, I'm going to try to do this. And one of the things is to remember that form emptiness thing every day. So I realized, oh, maybe I'm not doing as good a job as I as I could with that. Kind of, sort of, but not totally. All right, okay, oh, very no, cool. You do your best. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what is it not? So there's a personal unconscious for sure. This is, what I think, what Jung learned from Freud, which is the thoughts, memories, and um, feelings. Maybe it's better to say feelings, thoughts, and memories that people have inside them but they're not fully aware of them and how they're impacting them and so we're clear we're now talking about the jung's idea of the collective unconscious well that's the personal one oh, that's the personal, right so that's from your own personal experiences we all have this and jung believes that too right that's kind of like a general psychology thing certainly someone like freud introduced that mm -hmm. but that's a lot of like you know what fascinates kind of like you like traumatic things and all that that might be from people's earlier history that they don't realize the full impact of how it's affecting them those kinds yeah. of questions right i mean i care about that too but you've been talking about that a little bit more lately yeah so you know those kinds of things he thinks that that's real mm -hmm. right for sure uh and like unconscious impulses that people have to repress so sexual feelings that people might have to repress sometimes like aggressive feelings that you have to repress but you know things that you know wouldn't be good if you acted them out. You're, you don't really even, at a certain point, you don't even really know that you're feeling them mm. when they get repressed. So this is back to our, our popular conversation of the last month and a half, two months of like repression yeah. again, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so Jung is totally in on that. He doesn't say that that doesn't exist. That does exist, right? So that's one thing you can contrast it with, but that's more traced back to your own individual experiences or something. That's not a collective thing. That's a personal thing. 
Then the other one that's really interesting that I haven't, I came across this contrast and I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it in exactly these terms. So this was good for me even thinking about this, but like what you might call collective consciousness as opposed to the collective unconscious. And what what's being said there is this idea, like there's a kind of a consensus reality. And we talk about that a lot on this little podcast. And I got a big bug up my ass on this particular point. <laughs> so I was happy to see this phrase because there is a consensus reality. If we do our Buddhist philosophy, this is called part of like conventional truths right so within a certain you know social system or whatever there's the things that are real for the people who live within that social system whoever they are you know and we're going to be exploring this in different ways throughout our little relationshipy episodes because we'll do different things around this just to think about this how people in different cultures think about this stuff is kind of interesting too but anyways this is the conventional truth level of thing the consensus reality and i think in general in jung there's some idea that this is potentially not good and kind of dangerous or something Hmm. That it's full of like, there was a sort of list of phrases that I stumbled across with it, stumbled across with this related to Jung, like generalizations, simplistic ideas, fashionable ideologies are all in this sort of consensus reality that people kind of roll in on their daily basis. And um, and Jung is like suspicious of that. There's no doubt. He sort of feels like, okay, those are things that could be um, not good for people. And uh, also kind of can create a, a, a gap between them and the deeper parts of themselves, like this collective unconscious thing that we're going to be talking about for most of today, probably, right? Mm-hmm. That the consensus reality can pull you away from this deeper part. And there's no doubt because he's a critic, he's a critic of like conventional religion. Like last week we were talking about his uh, dream where the giant turd fell from the sky on top of the church. And so, you know, he's a critique, he's, he critiques these things. And so he says a lot of religious things can be a problem because they take the deeper ideas of the collective unconscious and they kind of package them in some kind of simplified form that kind of cuts people off from the deeper inner part of themselves or something. Mm. So that's his consensus reality problem. He thinks that's a big deal. You're kind of in between on some of this stuff. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're always a little bit like, yes and no. Because we've been doing these episodes for a while. And sometimes you're like, yes. And sometimes you're like, eh. it just depends what? on how it's phrased. You're Sometimes you're more in and sometimes you're less in. If you want, if, you want the, the, if, you're, if you're interested, I had a dream the other night that I think fits here very, very well. If you're, if you're in. If well, you're Carl in- Jung would be into it. So I can't argue the point. He would okay, want to hear fine. a dream. All right. So but he's up somewhere in some like netherworld looking down. Right. So he, like, he, he, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so it, uh, the the dream took like two nights ago. Uh, it took place in the in the future where the world was a little bit more mm, dilapidated, I guess we could say. But what was it was it was juxtaposed by the fact that people who lived indoors, because there were people who lived outdoors, people who lived indoors, even though they had more technology, lived like royalty. So very long gowns, long tables, ornate things for meals and things like this. So it was very kind of interesting and. I was leading a group of former students of mine and, and potentially new students, people who I'd never met before, uh, into like some more natural setting, right? Okay, we can call it like maybe a cave or something like this. And we got to a, a particular point where you couldn't walk through physically anymore. I don't know exactly how we were able to traverse this kind of like small opening that was literally the size of a keyhole, if you will. 
that we went in and then some of us came out, but the bulk of the group did not. We went back to the, you know, I guess you call it castle or wherever we were staying in this, in this dream. And it was all over the news that some man had taken these people into like the forest for some journey and um, they were missing. They went missing. Oh, okay. And so yeah. it was for like two days or three, two or three days. I don't know. Maybe it was did in the feel, third. Did it feel anxious to you or how was the, what was the tone of the dream for you? Were you like, yeah, it's okay. Or were you like, Ugh. no, I was a little concerned. You know, I was a little concerned. <laughs> of course, you know, I'm be like, well, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I yeah, was yeah. a little concerned. So I think it was the third that day. That seems natural enough with that dream. Uh huh. Yeah. So the third day, they found the people, they found uh -huh. them. And one woman who was a student of a student of mine who has since moved and, you know, has a family and, and whatnot. I don't know that she practices anymore, but it was we had a very deep I had a very deep impact on her life. You know, she had left me a note that was written on a piece of black chalkboard and white chalk in the middle of this dark cave. OK, and so the she there was four lines one written on each day that she was gone so the first day they were gone right the, the, the day that we left and then so that's let's say tuesday through friday so tuesday we, we went there wednesday missing thursday missing friday they found it but not till later in the day so four days uh -huh. um and the first line that i don't remember exactly but it was written in cursive i think it said something like i think we're lost okay the second line instead of being written it was pieces of like um, cement that were, you know, so like a little, there was a, a that was, so there was a little kind of place like so a, you could read the little fragments of the cement or something. Well, so there was like a little, like a figurine and then a blank space that had tape around it and then a piece of cement. And what I took that was, we are lost in the dark and underground. Okay. That was my, so, but it was abstract. Okay. And the next line said, um, in the dark, endless journey. Okay. And the next line, and now the handwriting is getting much more beautiful as the time goes. So first is cursive, then is abstract. Now it's written. The third line was written in, in like print. And mm -hmm. the fourth line was written like print perfect. Mm -hmm. wouldn't trade this experience for anything or sorry wouldn't yeah. trade for anything yeah, yeah and i kind of expected this to get more positive as it goes i kind of thought that would happen i thought the first yeah. line might be like you got us lost you fucking asshat or something like that <laughs> but it was much more polite in the yeah. dream and yeah and i think we're lost uh-huh for me you know in when it, when it said in the dark endless journey or journey endless I, I that that word journey for me means to journey as in like a shamanic yeah. kind of state as in a meditative kind of a state and so this reading this this hit me I got very emotional in my in my dream and so as you're talking about this like deeper parts of oneself I'm relating it back to like my work with people over the years and like really bringing them into the depths you know into the depths uh -huh. of the unconscious right that this sort of like collective unconscious and coming out of the other side and then teaching that course so many times seeing the the habituation the influence of reality 
you know, the the jobs and the requirements and whatnot, limiting people's ability to have these kind of like divine experiences for themselves without any mediation, without any intermediary, you know what I'm saying? Just muse, some drumming or some breath work, you know, something like this. So when you're talking about all of this, like this is what was like burning in my brain, you know, and, yeah, so, and yeah. I want to, so I'm interested to hear what you, you know, given this, you know, the, 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 the young type archetypes that we're going to talk about on the collective unconscious. I wanted to bring this up so that, you know, to see what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's a good dream for it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's yeah. a good dream. And I guess Jung would talk about like some allegory of the cave, right? You know, and he'd go through and he'd probably say, oh, look at the like the connections of this to like deeper archetypal ideas like that or something, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like a, like so for you, what you're saying is your experience of working with people being like, yeah, a lot of times it's the responsibilities of the world that kind of like pull people away or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that these folks got trapped in this space where they were cut off from the world mm -hmm. ended up being for the good for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And that they had to sort of like the handwriting and the worst them to go through and have an experience that, you know, maybe yes. the beginning was kind of scary, but ultimately was like deeply rewarding. Yeah. And like for me, the, the transition of the handwriting from being cursive, which is how most people probably write, which is tighter, more scribbled, generally rushed, mm -hmm. to then going, being completely abstract with just figurines and like piece of rock and space. And I had to interpret this, me, showed to me the transition from the normal thinking kind of mind into the abstract, into like the, in, you know, right? Something right, would say something like you went back to something that would be like Neolithic and primitive. Yes. <laughs> Right. And then I would like, probably say like you're tapping into the the ancestral aspects of the collective unconscious. There you go. And then the coming writing, right? Before right. They, that they spoke in images, right? Right. They spoke, exactly. And paintings then, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then the coming out of that, the first line that they that, that she wrote for me was, you know, in darkness, endless journey, or in dark, endless journey, or journey, journey endless. Right. Which I guess can be scary, but also can be like rewarding, like Correct. a dark night of the soul. Like we were talking about Jung going through that last week, right? He had mm -hmm. his dark night. Mm -hmm. They were like literally in a dark space, like wrestling. And I took whatever's going to happen in the darkness, right? I took that as like the first, like that the darkness is the first kind of implementation of form, actually. That mm -hmm. like, the the void space was the one in which they could only use abstract relations, not even it, but but now you have darkness. And darkness is, as we've discussed before numerous times, is not nothing. It's dark. But yeah. it's but it's vast in its in its array. You know, it's like sort it's of kind of like a, a barrier place too between like two things or something, right? You go right. to this dark place before you break through. Right. And if we could say if you're emerging from the the kind of clear light space, the sort of yeah, the, the Buddha nature space. There's a darkness before like the conventional reality starts to kick in, and then and before then, there's any yin and yang, first there's darkness. That's right. The that's union right. before like you even get possibility of form. If we're going to mm -hmm. be all mystically po mystically poetical, which obviously we are going to do that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're doing it right now. Yeah, so I that would be part of the thing too. You get like the Buddha nature thing, and then there's the dark. When you said dark, I like I'm going to think that thing too. You yeah. Know? Yep. from the Tibetan Book of the Dead that we talked about before, but you know, it's before there's even yin and yang. There's the union of the two, and it's it's like there's no form yet, so it's darkness, right? But it's not nothing, right? Right. Yeah. And then the last line, you know, wouldn't trade it for anything else. To me, shows the state of like a, a state of gratitude, a very kind of like heart centered place, 
you know, one of most clear description out of all the lines. So it's coming, you're going from society deep into like an abstract place, merging then up through the darkness and then returning, but returning in a much more clear, grateful uh, kind of being who went on this, you know, journey. If you went, you like touched your own inner nature, your own Buddha space, and you came back out again. And you said, that was awesome. Yes. Very yes. much. Yes. So maybe it was scary, like going in or something, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Carry the pace, these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the young would be into that dream. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we did him a, yeah, you did him a service by sharing it for sure, right? Thanks, Carl. <laughs> Somewhere he's like, giving a little nod, you know, puffing yeah. his pipe, but like with a satisfied look, you know, mm. inner smile. <laughs> um, okay. So, but anyway, so what do you think of the, so what about the external problem though? I mean, like he sees it. Okay. So let's go through it. We'll go through the other parts of the external problem and you can see what yeah. he has to say about it. Yeah. So he thinks that like organized conventional religions can be a problem. He definitely thinks that's true. Right. They can pull people away. And then he also sees this as being a problem in politics because you can get consensus realities that people start to like buy into. And then he also sort of says something like, because people aren't aware of how the collective unconscious part is kind of feeding in, there's a block there. Mm -hmm. Collective unconscious things can be manipulated within the political sphere. Maybe not with people totally realizing they're manipulating the collective unconscious, but they can be doing that. So you get like, I don't know. If you look at someone like Trump, why would people love him? Because he's like tapping into some weird archetypal thing. Mm. People want a strong protector figure who will come in and solve their problems or something. If that's what that's what's working for some people or something, mm. or however you want to think about that archetype, he's stepping in. And like he's embodying that for them. And because there's a problem in the consensus or reality around that archetype, well, that gets all like effed up. And all of a sudden political machinations happen and terrible things happen like out of that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So whatever the archetype is exactly. But I remember when he won the election in 2016, there were people who were like, they were going to supporters and they were like weeping like the Messiah had just come or something. There were like these tears on their faces. And for like, you know, like you and me, it's like, like what the hell are they seeing in this person? You know, who's just like a con man. And, and I mean, charlatan the, user, the but they, obviously of- they saw something in him that was like archetypal. And that's why when he gives his little rallies and stuff like that, people like are getting so emotional. And so wherever Jung would say, yeah, because it's tapping into something archetypal that they're missing in their lives and in themselves. Yeah, it's being like fed by this outer thing, and it's easy to be manipulated. Then he obviously compares sure. it to like Nazi Germany stuff. Obviously, he lived through those things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I kind of speechless. It's hard it, to know what to say about it, right? I mean, yeah. If I if I go down that road, we're gonna be in a rabbit hole. I just you know, for me, I'm like, man, so many holes to be filled. And not enough cement to fill it all. So, and I don't want to be like totally like like President Obama, like President Trump on the one side, and President Obama did it on the other side. And he did sure. good stuff for people. Not really. Not in the end. No, piss anybody off. But he didn't do anything that awesome. But he filled that gap, and I can remember all the emotion around that. 
for sure. Part of it was just like, okay, we can get rid of these evil, this evil administration that started these terrible wars and was torturing people and, you know, and all the lies of that part. Right. And, I, you know, I think it was but a- like he came in. It was like it was a, it was kind of like an archetypal thing. He presented some image, you know, that was very moving to people. Well, I think that politicians in general are are placating to uh, people's uh, image of a savior of some type. You know? Yeah, yeah. They're doing that. I mean, we've talked about this before. You know, Bill Maher had a great piece on this a couple of years ago with like superhero movies and, you know, politicians sort of taking that role. Like, okay, you know, here I am. I'm going to whatever, you know, and you can agree with some, you can agree or disagree with some different people, but they're definitely looking to, you're looking for somebody to help improve your situation or not make it worse, right? right? Because some people just want to make shit worse. I don't know how that works. I don't know what kind of public service that is, but like, Mm -hmm. You know, either way, there's definitely, yeah, they're, they're, they're pulling on, whether they're aware of it or not, I don't think that a lot of them are smart enough to know what they're doing. Well, the yeah. was pointed in some of the stuff I looked at, because advertising is another place where this came up. Now, they are smart enough to know. So they're going, okay, there's some archetype we're going to present to people yeah. will mean something to them. Yeah. That's why it's so sometimes stereotypical looking. Mm. You know, like you watch those ads, like, and like, when I watch it with my son or something, I don't watch a lot of like TV with, you know, like with ads too much, but if we watch something, I don't know, Shits Creek's on or something, they have ads yeah. in the breaks or something. Yeah. John knows all these commercials. Like it's insane. But I remember being a kid like that. You knew every tagline, every single little, like, you know. All of it. Yeah. You knew all of it, you know. Um, but you watch it, you know, from your adult perspective and you're like, well, this shit's so stupid. Right. <laughs> You know, why would this work on anybody? But it's tapping into these underlying archetypal ideas, right? The cowboy driving his pickup truck across the, you know, the plains, you know, what the fuck is that supposed to do? <laughs> you know, but it has an archetype behind it. If you, if you happen to vibe with that, that's going to have a real meaning to you. That's going to, I guess, hit you in some emotional way. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. So you're saying the advertisers are smart enough to do it. I didn't mean to cut you off with that. But yeah, anyway. no, the advertisers are definitely smart enough to do it. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. I mean, that's their job. Well, that's the people who are the political campaign pain operatives, right? Right, they're doing right. a similar role. Whether they're always thinking that they're doing it Jungian-wise, but I mean, I think what some people argue is that, yeah, they realize that's the case. You show like the archetype of a father or something and people will, it'll hit something in them, right? Yeah. It's even more so if you had like a problematic relationship with your father, you have an issue around this archetype, you see the ad, you show the dad and the son and all of a sudden you're like, I'm a dad now and I want to be like that archetype, you know, whatever you feel inside exactly. yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Which well, is- I, and I think the other part is that it's yeah. better to get people to an emotional place because then it's harder to convince them otherwise, right? Because they're not in a place of rationality. They're in a place of emotionality and they don't need to be convinced now of, of something else because their quote unquote heart is in it, you know? And they believe it. They have faith in it, right? And so this is the, you know, we, we like faith is important, but like this is the problem with it. Is that like if you're yeah. turned blindly down something, then you just say, oh, I'll put my faith in it, whatever. But like if that leads to you, you know, I don't know, doing bad things, then. Yeah, I got the T-shirt from when I saw the Dalai Lama. And the, point, the, the quote that they put on the back, which was interesting, was uh, the whole part about the Buddha saying, don't believe something just because I tell you it. Don't believe that. Test it as if you were like, if mm-hmm. you were taking some gold from me and you wouldn't just trust me that I'm giving you gold, you would like test the shit out of it to make sure that it's real. You know, mm-hmm. that's why I like, I like about those philosophies, the ones that say, Hey, don't just believe it because 
I'm telling you it's something super awesome. You have to explore this for yourself and determine whether it's true based on your own experience. We're both into that idea, right? Yeah, yeah. On the thing with the uh, emotions, I think I did this Jonathan Hate book because I had to do some CEUs for one of my teaching things. So I used him. So he's he's kind of like a social psychologist. It's a really interesting person. And he talks about like the elephant and the rider. And he's referencing back to like Asian philosophy. With right. so he's a social psychologist. You know, and the elephant is all the emotional stuff and it's going, you know, and the yeah. rider maybe like the more conscious rationality sitting on the top or something. But the elephant has a lot of power and it'll go, Right. Mm -hmm. and it'll carry the it'll carry the rider along and, and you know especially if you don't recognize that there's an elephant underneath there <laughs> <laughs> you know, why am i getting bounced all over the place it's the elephant you know yeah um okay so we agree on this thing so this is kind of interesting this is the consensus reality thing which is different than a collective unconscious thing i thought that was kind of good to show right yeah so what's this collective unconscious thing well it's some kind of deepest layer in the psyche and we're going to talk about these archetypes in a little bit I thought it'd be cool to like list maybe our favorite archetypes, mm -hmm. <laughs> the ones that we're into. But um, it's uh, this idea of uh, this deeper inner world that's full of all these, I guess if you were doing Greek stuff, you'd say they're almost like forms or something, platonic mm -hmm. forms, like mm -hmm. fundamental ideas, you know, that are kind of like intrinsic to the human psyche about how we're all going to sort of see reality. And it's collective in the sense that, you know, we all have this similar thing in us. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do you come up with something like that? Uh, we'll talk about it, but that's kind of the idea of it. Right. We talked about it a little bit last week. Jung started talking to patients going, well, people seem to have a lot of stuff in them that looks like fairy tales or looks like myths or looks like right. whatever. Even myths and fairy tales that they might not even have any business knowing. You know, they seem to know stuff about this. And right. then he went further and said, oh, wow, these Hindu myths are really similar to these Greek myths are really similar to these myths from Africa are really similar to these myths from other places. So he kind of started doing this and he said, well, why is this? And he says, there's this deeper collective unconscious thing. Mm -hmm. That's the notion. So I, the one thing I thought that was like, again, I was doing my little in-between research stuff between episodes is the like, is, it's hard to know how to talk about this, but there's like what are sometimes called like minimal or maximal interpretations of this, right? Mm -hmm. So the minimal one would be something like, the more, the more simple and probably, I know, maybe more like scientific version of it or something where you just say, okay, human beings evolved as a species. Our brains and our systems evolved a certain way. And we tend to have certain patterns of thinking that are just kind of built into the wiring of who we are as beings. And there's nothing necessarily mystical about that. It's an evolved thing. And we could talk about this in a collective way right? That's the reason why people see things in similar ways as human beings, because we all have the same wiring, right? We're going to see shit similarly. And it, there's nothing mystical in it necessarily. Like you could talk about the collective toe or the collective arm. Like we all have arms and toes, right. all kind of the same collective heart, collective uterus or vagina or penis. They're all the same, <laughs> give or take, you know, little differences, but, you know, it's all kind of the same structures, you know. And so, you know, there's no reason to say that the the collective unconscious isn't like somehow kind of analogous to that. Sure. And sometimes Jung seems to talk that way, you know. And I I wonder about with him because maybe he was doing that to make his ideas more acceptable. Because mm. we did talk about the fact that he knew that his stuff was going to get a lot of resistance. Like he knew that was the case. He wasn't blind mm. to that point. But then you get like the more of the maximal thing which is this idea more of like, no, there's some kind of external collective unconscious mind out there 
that we all tap into in this collective way, but it's not entirely just an evolved personal biological thing. There's something that's a transcendent thing, you know, that actually has its own existence kind of. It's part of the reality of the world. And in moments we tap into this as a transcendent thing. We all have it in us, but we also tap into this thing. And it's bigger than just us or something. It's almost like, again, it's almost like a mystical or transcendent thing or something like that. A spiritual mm -hmm. thing, if you want to use that word or whatever you want, word you want to use. And that would be more like the maximal thing. And does Jung talk like that? Yeah, he definitely does at times too, right? That you tap into something bigger than yourself, transcendent of just yourself or something. Mm. And he's real complicated on this point. You know, he seems sometimes to talk like both ways. So, I mean, what do you think about those two ideas and, you know, well, with you in that? I thought I would present it to you just to see what you think. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is that, like, when, when, when you're talking about this, I immediately think of, like, the cloud, cloud storage, you know? Oh, yeah, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's a good, I think it's a good analogy because people can understand that, even if they don't understand how that works, you know? Like, they understand the concept. And so then working backwards then to this stuff, it's like, he had that concept already long before there was this idea like of a cloud. These devices in a cloud. Yeah, exactly. I and just so, held like a cell phone to the screen or whatever for this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like it's like a deep level of un, of awareness and understanding. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it almost seems like <clears throat> vaguely prophetic or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But people can have these ideas. Yeah, you like that one. You've used, you've used that, like, not for a bit, but you've used it sometimes in the podcast where you're like, well, listen, you know, you're tapping into something beyond yourself. Mm -hmm. You're the receiver for this. And you know that can happen when you use your cell phone. There's some waves coming in and you can access that, right? Mm -hmm. You're doing that as a human being. You're connecting into the wavelengths that are out there. And now yep. your internal wiring is like hooking up to that signal, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. So he thinks that way, obviously, at times. Right. There's no doubt that that's true. There are times when he's talking that way. Mm. Okay. So anything else you want to say in the collective unconscious before we boogie along with it? No. Okay, you're good. Okay. So then we get to talk about the archetypes. So what's in this thing now that we said that there's something there, like what's inside of it. And the whole idea is that it's filled with these things called archetypes. And an archetype is one of the I don't know, what would you say? One of the residents of this collective unconscious. And there are these primary, primordial, primary, fundamental, foundational ideas, right? Mm -hmm. That are kind of like there. And they're real big things like um, mother, father, uh, female, male, and so on. God, goddess, all of this stuff that's very deep concepts you know he would say that are just kind of like there inside of human beings just fundamentally and intrinsically they're just kind of hanging around inside of us whether that's inside in that minimalistic sense or whether that's because we're tapping into stuff from the outside either way they're like these foundational ideas Does that seem like okay is a definition for you daniel you have something else you want to say about that no no no, it's okay and so it's really interesting because when i studied this back as a student i first heard this stuff when i was an undergrad uh, USC, I had a really good class where this was first brought up to me. And I was like, I don't know what to make out of this. <laughs> I was a little like, what's he saying exactly? And I remember like, especially, I think especially because the way my mind was at that time, I was like moving from physics into psychology. 
And I was going, well, okay, what's the definition for this? <laughs> what's the operational definition? What's the tight way to define this? Mm-hmm. And Jung resists that. You know, he kind of says, mm-hmm. like, no, if you define these things too tightly, you tend to kind of lose them. Right. Which is, goes back to the point that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like the Tao or something like that. You know, yeah. you got to leave it a little loosey-goosey. Otherwise, you try to define it too tightly and you kind of lose it. Now, if you're listening to this, I get that there will be pe- there will be people who that will bother them. You know what I'm saying, Daniel? Oh, absolutely. They'll they'll use that as justification to say, well, then if you can't define it, it's not a thing. Yeah, if you're more minded that way, um, and I get that. I'm not I'm not like I don't understand that, but I think you have to like leave a little wiggle room inside yourself for some of these ideas to kind of get what the intent is. Yeah. So I feel like when you're doing that, you're kind of just not giving the person the chance to really express what they're trying to express. Right. They're trying to say something that's more subtle, like what you were talking about earlier. Right. And so to say something more subtle, you have to leave it a little bit more loose. Yes, you have to. <laughs> right. If I have to define like a shoe, we can all look at the shoe and agree. Here's the <laughs> if I define know. something more subtle, like a quantum field. That's not that easy. <laughs> Coming back, same thing to this idea you know, of like, subtle. form and form, you know, yeah. It's uh, it's something that I think people prefer to have is stuff that has clear boundaries to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't, it's it's almost safer in one's mind as a concept than as a construct. You That's know, be or, very true about the relationship thing too. And Jung is wiggly on these things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most it, people it, like like this is my rigid definition of what constitutes whatever that's going to be. Just a yeah. preview, right? Yeah, yeah. not going to be that person. You know, we're cheating ahead to how he's going to talk about things. Right. Things are a little bit more loosey goosey. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I kind of. No, you're know. good. You're good. Yeah. So. Okay, so this is true of like the whole concept of an archetype. If you try to make it too defined, because I remember looking through like the Jungian glossary, going, "What the fuck is this guy talking about?" Because mm-hmm. I wanted those. This is my, you know, when I was in undergrad, you know, I wanted the more like definition so I could understand it. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I had to get used to the like. No, he's purposely doing this. He's not like he. It's not like he's he wants to be vague because the idea doesn't make any sense or something. He's purposely leaving it like that because that's the best way to understand it. And that's mm-hmm. supposed to be true of any individual example. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you leave it a little bit loosey goosey because it's going to mean different things to different people, and there's going to be all kinds of different permutations on what things are like. You right. Know? So that's kind of his idea with this. So what do you think you got? Uh, let's, should we do our favorite archetypes? <laughs> uh, I just have um, a Ram. Oh, we're going to in a little bit. We don't have a lot of time. We do, but I wanted to give this uh, Ram Das quote. It says, oh, okay. we're fascinated by the words, but where we meet is in the silence behind them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I quite, you know, sometimes. The space, the space in between is a lot of times where the meaning is. Right? That's right. That's right. And, you know, truthfully, and, and I, don't, I don't even know how I'm going to say this because I don't want it to come off as if I'm some, you know, exalted being of, or, 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 or anything like that, you know. But if you have some experience with some particular expertise, some whatever, you know, I'm, I'm specifically thinking of a meditative state, but we can talk about it with any any skill set that one person would have, an electrician, Right. But if you're speaking from deep experience from something that you have learned, studied, experienced, know it, 
deeper than on your cognitive level that is just like this is who part of your essence is you can explain it in ways that people who also have that familiarity will understand it as well even if there is so much left to be said right so many words we need to try and give people instantaneous understanding so that they can not feel the the dissonance in their mind going i don't get it i don't get it i don't get it no sometimes you don't get it and that's fine you know like you but and but i think people don't like to sit with that so sometimes like because i've studied archetypes in a couple of different ways even via like chinese medicine and the the elements oh, as archetypes yeah. mm -hmm. which was a very different way of of understanding them you know i mean i think on one level we do understand that but then to take you know, and this is not, I know not all of our audience is Chinese medicine people, but there are, you know, elements in Chinese medicine that get used as reference points for internal manifestations, as well as like seasonal external, you know, life things. They're kind of um, like fundamental energies of nature or something like there that. You like, go. There you go. Archetypes or something, right? Yeah. And you can, then they have kind of have a personality a little bit to them and they have tendencies and shapes and, you know what I'm saying? Stuff that kind of comes out of the out of the formless a little bit mm -hmm. and that is a harder thing for people to grasp because it, it's almost like a character or a caricature at some point and it's a difficult thing to grasp but you know it's something you got to wrestle with well, if you're like, trying to tackle larger ideas than you could think about in one second you can anthropomorphize a fundamental energy yes you can do that you could like anthropomorphize gravity yeah and like take it into a thing yeah. What's its nature? Its nature is to pull everything towards it. It has a certain kind of personality. Sure. Right. I mean, isn't it, that what people do? You if you're close, but if you're too far away, it won't affect you as much. So it has a certain like way it likes to behave. You can make it into like a like a thing, right? A person or whatever you want to do, right? Isn't that what we do with God? Well, that's what people say. They say the reason why it's so powerful to talk about a Jesus or a Krishna or whoever because you make it personal, right? Yeah. And it depends maybe on your taste. Sure. Like I might like like more like a Tao, a formless thing. I'm going to be yeah. able to do that, but that's individual differences, different structures for different folks, right? Yeah. Some people like the idea of connecting to, you know, uh, what was the old Depeche Mode song? Oh, your own personal Jesus. Sure. <laughs> right? You connect to the one that's personal to you, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. You got a boogie, right? I do, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. So gonna, we're chipping teacher. away. <laughs> Arch archetypal teaser that this, this young that this young thing so i guess maybe the next episode will be name your favorite archetype name so i suppose if, you, if you're a listener you have a favorite archetype you can send it over yes and daniel will list all the places as he always does but you know we can maybe we each have our own favorite i'll share my trickster story mm -hmm. oh well that you know so I'll have, to pick, I'll, have to pick a, I'll have to pick a different one then so. that's when it got really real for me i realized oh my god i i know what jung is talking about this when i was doing zen yeah. So I'll share, I'll share my little trickster experience. Yeah, no, that, that sounds good. For, that sounds good with me. Yeah. And I think there is a, a one uh, one email from some audience member I have to get back to. But don't worry. I don't forget. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to people. And, you know, speaking of which, uh, if you want to leave us an email that it might take me a couple of weeks to respond to, <laughs> uh, please feel free to do so. Feel encouraged, if you will, uh, at ginandtantra at gmail.com. Or you can leave a, a comment in the YouTube video or on Apple podcast or Apple. You can leave a review. Uh, we see those. You can uh, hit us up on Instagram at Gin and Tantra, you know, or if you, you know, know us or are friends with us on 
Uh, Facebook, you know, my my name, Daniel Demolechny, Eric Baker. Uh, feel free to leave us a message there too. There's plenty of ways to connect if you have questions, comments, concerns, or ideas for shows. We we do like to get uh, suggestions. It it is nice to kind of work with that collective field of things that people are interested in because as we are learning, we are sharing, we're going over things that we're familiar with, and then we're deepening the conversation with each other and then with everybody else here. And in, in, um, in part in hopes that the conversation moves into people's lives and causes a bit of a, a positive change, if you will. Yeah. It's a bit of like a community or a sangha, if you want to be a little Buddhist about it. Right. Yeah. We yeah. All help each other out. Yeah. And that we can maybe have some effect on this consensus reality that we're all swimming <laughs> in. Yes. We didn't say drowning. No, 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 we're not drowning. No, I got, I got floaties, baby. (laughs) I'm not drowning for sure. Not snorkel. You got the whole thing. Uh Yeah. Sometimes it might feel like it is because the waves are a little choppy, but uh, no, no, I'm I'm swimming for sure. And, um, and I hope that everybody else is too. And for Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace. Together. I want you to get together.